You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Happy New Year and welcome back to Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Sean McGuffin. Colleen Moore. And recording on January 4th, 2020. So guys, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Sean yeah. and Colleen. You guys, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys been on a couple times, Dana. Try to get you back, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Bob wasn't available. Don't lie to us. <laughs> I mean, most people weren't available. Yeah. But hey, I mean, you guys, it's not that you guys are on the B team. It's just, you know. It, it's just that you're the B team. <laughs> your words. <laughs> but no, um, and then we're kind of trying to figure out, like, what should we do for the first episode of 2020? And like I, as anybody saw the Instagram post uh, we put out, you know, we have tons of ideas. But it doesn't really make sense for the group we we're getting together or, like, or the, the prep time needed. So I was like, Sean and Colin, what we should do? And Colin had the great idea of, like, we should do a recap of the 2010s. And we're going to do that. The, the issue is we're going to add our ideas together, and that uh, has kind of gone... In a direction. It got a, it, it was a very long list after we were yeah, done. Yeah, it, it was, it is no worry, it exhausted, it's like, you know, it, a lot of stuff happened. Um, so much. So, we try to create the list and have things that had sort of a lasting impact or a pol- on policy or some sort of other type of event similar to that. And then we decided, it'd be real, it's like, how do you decide, how do you pick? Even out of our list we had, it's like, how do we decide? We developed the scientific method of understanding what is the most important issues to talk about on this podcast yes by drawing it from a hat (laughs) but literally it yeah because i mean like something like we we talked about like the rise and fall of isis like how do you cover that in like one third of an episode (laughs) we're talking about like three things on this yeah but then it like it shaped the 2010 so much and yeah so it was yeah. It's a long list. Yeah, there's a long list, and there's stuff that like wasn't added, like like you said, like like the anything involving ISIL because it's real. I mean, to a certain extent, because it, it's way too expansive, or like the use war in Afghanistan, or Brexit, or Syrian civil war. It's just like you can't talk about it in five minutes. Like you know, it used to be like you know, here's the recap, here's what happened. This is neat. It's more like all right, let's that's an episode in itself. Either because we've either done an episode on it before, or I hope when they plan to do an episode. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, before we pick from the hat, um, we'll get to our beers. And today we're drinking the New Belgium Voodoo Ranger American Haze. Yeah, go, I gotta open it up. It's like Christmas. Come on. I like that. Yeah, I really do. I like that a lot. I like that. Yeah, it's described as... With notes of passion, fruit, and freedom. <laughs> I hate that so much. No, that's great. American Haze is supremely drinkable, juicy, unfiltered IPA brewed with all-American hops. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. I'm actually surprised I like that because I don't like hops that much. Oh, it's a it's a five percent beer too. Okay. So it's also kind of like, it's, 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 it is like a great summer beer if it wasn't you know. I mean, I would say dead of winter, but it was like, I think it's like sixty degrees. Yeah, today. it's like sixty degrees, so I think it's appropriate. Yeah, I really, I, I really like that. I like. You know the worst, the worst part when I bought this, I realized. I don't think out of like the fifty some odd episodes we've done, I don't think we've had New Belgium on once. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and really? it's like, which is really weird because like I actually really like the brewery. Is that why you don't have a sponsorship yet? 
Because you don't have, you know, you're being inconsistent. No, it's because I do what I want. Uh, Dear New Belgium, if you want to sponsor us, we will yeah. only have your beer. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, yes. Also, <laughs> they have so many different ones, that'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Did you know that New Belgium just um, acquired a brewery, Kirin, which is a Japanese beer that is involved with the Burmese military? It's like they're like invested in the Burmese military. Colleen. One episode at a time. Get, it wasn't on the list. So, 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 New Belgium, you should sponsor Ryan and also don't do the things that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll pick that. Well, maybe we'll pick that that topic out of the hat and oh. discuss what that means. The geopolitics of beer episode next week. You should do a politics Logan. of beer episode. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so uh, what do we want to rank that as? Out of five. So it's like a four or four point five for me. I'd I'd give that a five. I really like this beer. Do do four five. The hat to foreign policy. Yeah. So now I'm gonna draw. We'll see what see what we get of our first topic. And it's the uh, Rohingya genocide. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yes. No way. Yes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> the, the, um <laughs> the hat has spoken. Um, the hat has Colleen, would you like to start us off with that was? Yeah. So the Rohingya crisis was, um, it happened in 2017 and the genocide is still ongoing. So, um, the leader of, well, hold on. Well, is it actually a genocide by the UN standards? Because that's the problem with genocide is like whether or not it's actually because if it is it means it means you have to intervene which no one has. But I mean, I mean, so even so, okay, let's call it an ethnic cleansing. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to talk I'm, about the nuances of genocide I'm, right now. <laughs> um, in a five-minute segment. Um, so yeah, I, whether it is a eyes. genocide or ethnic cleansing, um, of the Rohingya, a Muslim uh, population in Burma or uh, Myanmar. Um, which I know the name of it is also controversial. I think a lot of people I work with call it Burma. Um, but yeah, so the leader of Burma, Myanmar, Ayung uh, San Suu Kyi, she won the Nobel Peace Prize a while ago for um, essentially like taking power back from the military junta. She was in jail. And now she's orchestrating a ethnic cleansing or genocide against uh, the Rohingya Muslim people. Of Burma, and I think this is a major thing that happened in the 2010s, um, because it is just showing that like I think part of it is like a lot of our heroes aren't like pure, and obviously like there was a transition from what Ayung San Suu Kyi was doing to what she's doing now, um, and I think another part of it is just like fueling the refugee crisis as well. Um, a lot of Rohingya went to nearby Bangladesh, yeah. and there's a whole another crisis yeah, that's yeah, kind of coming out of yeah, that. Yeah, the Bangladeshis have been like, we want to support you, but also, like, don't be here. The Well, in addition, uh, India recently had a new citizenship law, which said, you know, uh, religious minorities can now become citizens with uh, far fewer hurdles beforehand, unless you're a religious minority that is a Muslim. And so I, that I was is... Like, like, this whole Kashmir thing just, just happened. It was still ongoing. I was like, what are you talking about? It, it, exactly. It, it's, it listed Christians, Jains, a bunch of other uh, religions in the region, and then uh, intentionally left that off, and that has caused a lot of stir, because uh, I think uh, India is the third largest Muslim country or population country in the world behind Indonesia and Pakistan. 
just as far as the number of Muslims there, it's around 200 million. And so yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that with then you have Rohingyan uh, and then also Bangladeshi refugees uh, coming across the border into uh, different regions of India. It's a uh, it, it means that just because this is happening in Myanmar, it's not isolated to there. But um, I know that at different times, you know, people were being, uh, you know, towed out in boats and then just kind of left there. And a bunch of other things that uh, for someone that it was a Nobel Peace Prize winner, Colin, exactly to your point, that uh, even if they fought the military junta, it doesn't mean that all of what they do is good <laughs> by itself there. Well, because it's like, it's, it's, you know, how you unite a people against someone else. Yeah. And yeah. a Muslim minority that already lives near the border is a pretty good start. Yeah. And it also goes into Myanmar has, uh, as far as a country having for the size and population, has dozens upon dozens of distinct uh, uh, ethnic and religious minorities some of which have semi-autonomous and armed states uh, or sub-states within the country. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating place um, mm-hmm. full of a lot of really bad stuff like this. Yeah. So it was like the, the main stint of it, I guess, happened in, in 2016 and 2017. Which most, it's like when most of the fleeing had happened. Like the, ma- the main push by the military. Now, isolated things happen. There's still policies against them. Well, I think, like, right of return is kind of something that's not really, I guess, happening. They're not letting people really come back, and they're kind of just stuck in this loophole, like, just refugee camps in, like, in Bangladesh or on the border or somewhere else. And, it's, you know, it's not a not a super great thing that happened. And the uh, part of it, of why the atrocities aren't really ending, is because there's just so many corporations also, like, involved with the Burmese military, and it's so messed up. So what I was saying earlier was... No, it's, it's, it's interesting because like Kieran uh, Brewery, it's a Japanese brewery, um, they're also invested with the Burmese military, which like when I heard that, it like blew my mind because I like never knew anything about that, but there's so many. There's Are they like official there's beer like, sponsor of the Burmese military? <laughs> no, but they just have like different investments. The Burmese um, military owns a decent percentage or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something the... like that. And then there's like Harry Winston and like there's so many like high-end uh, like retailers that literally have investments like with the Burmese military, it's insane. Well, I guess it's mostly like the part of the Burmese military that invests in different things that actually have its own funding. It's like, remember how it's like, well, it's basically example like the coast thing. It's also kind of relevant right now because of Iran, like the IRGs, IRGC, like the, yeah, Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps. Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, might be. <laughs> might be. I only studied in the Middle East for years and I still <laughs> fucked that up. But like, yeah, um, um, you know, they're, they have their own budget, and they, a lot of stuff goes. They they invest their a lot of the the civilian run things in Iran are funded, or the investment comes from them. So I guess same kind of thing. The military has to make money to pay for. It's a state within a state. Their uh, ethnic cleansing. System. Yeah. But hey. <laughs> well, that was cheery way to start <laughs> our recap of twenty tens. Uh, in uh, for any listeners, I think that. Almost none of the things in our list are happy events. So they uh, except for Coney twenty twelve. That was not on the list. We will not. We're not putting that in the damn list. He's definitely not still out there. Okay. God damn. <laughs> Stop. But um, yeah. So moving on. All right, Sean. Pick from the magic hat. Yes. All right. The next topic we have for discussion is. Uh, Paris Climate Agreement, 2016. Yeah, so, I mean, that was a good thing that happened. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, I take back what I said. There was except for we'll get to this. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> it was really a good thing. I mean, like, but still, like, it it was if who doesn't who doesn't know or isn't aware, it's just the the, big, the largest climate change agreement in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it was uh, a lot of the push for it came from the United States at the time, uh, and uh, we I think every single country in the world now has signed on to it. Uh, and then uh, the Trump administration, I think within the first year of the of his uh, of Trump's presidency, then pulled out of the agreement. Um, and outside of the the U.S. pulling out, it's been doing uh, about as good as most climate agreements do, or better than most climate agreements do. Uh, well, do, you, do you know who the other countries who weren't initial signers to it were? I think like Nicaragua and Syria. Yeah, Syria and Nicaragua. Yes. Nicaragua in 2017 signed in. So it's just Sir- it's Syria in the Syria, U.S. Syria is a bit busy. <laughs> I understand. They're... I, I don't. They can still send an Olympic team that can fucking sign the goddamn Paris Agreement. That's true. You know what? I feel like that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's just significant that so many member states can agree on like a certain set of principles and even just like the idea of it of just so many of these countries coming together and saying that this is a problem and we need to do something about it i think is so significant in and of itself and then the trump withdrawal of course is just a pattern of what the trump administration has done withdrawing from literally any international agreement and because even like the u.s spearheading it in the like in the beginning was a big thing because the u.s isn't great with international law and so but because especially the trump because we do the fuck we want because america American I mean, Hayes, Colleen. I mean, Goddamn. I mean, as as much Tastes as like freedom, <laughs> like she's giving Ryan a death stare right now. Honestly, America, I feel like is American foreign policy right now. In all in all reality, yeah, yeah. One. That's why we're doing so much winning. You might have to take me off of this episode. No I'll have my name associated. <laughs> you can't have your name associated with winning. Interesting. Uh, Sounds like a new code disarmament. Yeah. Um, one. Whoa. <laughs> oh boy. But no, it, it, it's like, so it's one of the good things that did come out of it. Even the U S is not involved. It's like, we could return to it at some yeah. point, you know, and like yeah. and everyone else is abiding by it. And U S is like, I still like, there's like involvement, but it's not like, okay, we're not in it, but like, we still do things. Like, yeah, uh, I think a lot of the democratic presidential candidates have said that they will reenter it, which is good. Uh, and then you also have select states in the U S that, yeah. um, have uh, California notably uh, that have been following at least a lot of uh, environmentally conscious laws and putting those forward. And surprisingly, uh, China of all people has been investing a lot of money both domestically and then uh, elsewhere in the world for um, you know, different green or environmentally friendly projects. No, sure, a lot of projects that aren't fucking other people. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, of, they're not all. They're not there. But uh, as far as I think, amount of money. Behind the EU, I think China has has invested the most in uh, like green power plants and stuff like that. Uh, Which is is... that why when there's international visits, they basically have people not drive for a couple of days? Oh yeah, they're they're bad (laughs) when it comes to the environment. I'm not saying that they're good, but they're investing. They're investing. That is not accurate. (laughs) But they're investing more money than uh, for being a state that has terrible environment, uh, both uh, terrible environmental standards domestically and then also even their investments abroad. Uh, the fact that they're investing billions of dollars 
far more than the U.S. ever has as, at its peak, is is something to just kind of acknowledge and say, all right, yeah, not doing a lot of great things in many places, but that is a progress that they're at least doing. They're doing more than most would expect and most would have, uh, well, they and most are. Oh, Sean, they can't rule the world if the world's flooded. That might be part of the strategy. <laughs> I don't know. I, who knows? Because, you know, then there's all the things that China's doing, like, you know... Um, actual genocide but what's the definition of genocide ryan is it genocide by un i would i think it might be (laughs) i mean no because the un would never say that well so that's true but paper tiger as long as it's uh, like the targeted destruction of a particular minority just because the un doesn't acknowledge it that just means that they don't the p5 doesn't want to go in and then say something where they've been forced to do something well and responsibility to protect isn't just genocide right isn't it ethnic cleansing too? R two. No, it's it's. I don't think it. I don't know. I I I want it to be an episode now. What, R, is, what uh, is genocide? Uh, and and then also R two P is also just a really interesting concept. Oh yeah, no no, it, no. It's also kind of dead within certain circles because. Oh yeah. Uh, it it's was, been dead since the nineties. Well, it was yeah. invoked and, and, for and, Libya and, and um. Oh yeah, even of Libya, and then like even before the uh, Darfur and all that kind of stuff. Darfur, yeah, yeah. Uh, my friends, we have leaked out of the Paris Agreement we have. into Darfur somehow. So I think it's time to <laughs> I blame pull... you, Sean. For it... Talking about China. D- I, I'm not yeah, responsible. Yeah, pro, pro, pro China, that Sean. Is not you. Stop saying that. <laughs> right. I say enough. Number three, election interference. That you added that, Sean. So uh, sure. So. Um, <laughs> It was election interference and information, information warfare. Yeah. Whatever that means, or or if for those unfamiliar with what that means, it's essentially uh, using social media, which has come into its own. What election interference means for those who might not know is it means uh, using mostly social media, which has come into its own uh, in the past decade, to influence what people think and uh, people's perceptions of things. Uh, it yeah, happened so, in the U.S. in 2016, but happening happened, in Eastern Europe and other places yeah. forever. U.S., Eastern Europe, Germany, yeah. other places. Britain, Brexit is basically mostly Russia is interfering with other people's elections by like just Russian Twitter bots and shit like that. Basically, yeah. well, and, and then also at least in uh, in some places, uh, giving money to uh, favorable political candidates or parties. Yeah, yeah, and part of it is also like facebook and facebook ads of like fake news like how what ads can they run and they essentially like let most ads run like i think elizabeth warren did like a test on this a few months ago and just did like a fake like a completely factually wrong facebook ad and she and then she was like psych like none of this is true and they like allowed it to go through and so i think it's just the power of facebook and that they're allowing this like All fake hail. news to go through. <laughs> All hail the social media overlords. But like, it, I mean, my not to defend Facebook, but I think because I want to do an episode on just this too. I think I don't have it up there. But like, um, if like and like, like Facebook, like what is fake news or like, yeah, like what is their responsibility things? Because like, there's certain extent, like, okay, if if our if an advertisement is not true, how is it up to them to decide what is? And not take sides. Yeah, because then that would be like Facebook deciding what truth is. Yeah. So do we want that? But yeah, which is bad, which is a whole other can of worms, but it's also kind of also the thing of, oh man, like, 
that's really fucked up what they just put out and it's not true and you're affecting the ele- election like you're gonna have somebody win over something that's not true you're, so it's like you're affecting what people think reality is because uh especially older folks be like oh well i saw it there or i've seen it repeatedly from different sources all those sources can be total bs because they don't do any or don't do a lot of you know they don't interviewing. <laughs> yeah they don't internet shockingly old people don't know what the internet yeah, is. yeah i know well i, mean, well, I guess at the point that would Facebook really should do just like no more political ads at all. <laughs> like, yeah, but like, then, but then riddle me this: if they have an ad on, uh, you know, did you know that this thing causes cancer or something like that? And you know, some one of, and they put out some type of study that whether it's a real study or not, it's not political, but it affects what people think of prescription drugs or something like that. So everything is everything is political inherently and especially like i work for a 501c3 a nonprofit, and even like we we have this trouble with google ads because we have like a nonprofit google ads account and when we say the word trump it's marked as political and it's not approved and like we're not necessarily taking sides we're literally just like hey trump did this this is our opinion of it we're not talking about elections in any way because we're a 501c3 and we can't talk about elections yeah. but then like what does political mean for any kind of advertising on Facebook or Google. Yeah, it's all garbage. That's the theme of this episode. Is you're coming welcome. Up, co- co- coming up ideas for other episodes. Uh, the B team, <laughs> get, soon to get promoted to the A team, right, Colleen? There's yeah. only one A team, sorry. The squad. Dun, 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 dun. No, you guys, dun, have, dun, you guys dun, have like notable mentions. But <laughs> we're like A and a half. Yeah. A minus? You're like you're like the alternate team. Like it's like okay, like the, we just did their. So we're the there. B team. <laughs> we're literally the B team. No, no, no. That's it's what it, you just said. No, just the alternative team. It's not the same. No, so they're alternative facts. Okay, it's not fake news. So 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 you have the A team. Then we're team one, and then you'll have a team alpha, and then we just need a a, a different list of other first place things. They call the different names. Sure. But um. <laughs> um, no more, no more counter election stuff. Are we? Can we move on? Yep. yep. Yeah. All right. Time to pick a new one. Here you go. Okay. Pick a good one. I accidentally picked two, but we're gonna do this one. Uh, Paris attack, twenty fifteen. So the Paris attacks in twenty fifteen. It was November twenty fifteen. Um, it was the Islamic State's first main attack outside of like iraq and syria and stuff like that it was um all in paris in multiple different spots like the suicide bombers at a stadium people shooting up people at you know right away at some bar and then also at the big um ven- uh, music venue 130 people were killed a, a very highly coordinated attack yes i remember when it happened because like oh actually i, I didn't remember what he's actually because i was actually sleeping because uh, I was on night shift for I worked at I used to work in an operations center, and I came into work later than I, well, I got a te- I saw like, a bunch of text messages like you've seen this I'm like what are you talking about? I was like holy shit, and, and like I've done focus on terrorism as most people who listen to this know um, pretty much my entire like professional academic career I was like it's Al Qaeda, duh, like it was like it's been a while for them <laughs> they kind of try to assert themselves and I was like fuck me I was wrong it was. Uh, this is Islamic State. I remember. I, gave, I also gave a t- uh, talk to YPFP. I did like, like eighty people showed up. It was nuts. Hmm. People were just kind of like freaked out because it was it was like Paris's nine eleven kind. Of t- it was just such a wake up call. All of a sudden, instead of having like, you know, it was brutal. 
you know, them just gunning people down, like that accuracy and that movement and that practice. And it was just like, that's why they're, they're the Emni. The Emni was essentially like a subgroup of the Islamic State, where basically just guys who got trained in uh, Syria to go back. And the guys who were training there were mostly like ex Baathist, like intelligence guys. So mm. they had tradecraft, wow. they had experience, they knew how to do these things. And that kind of, it was, the, it was the, really the first one that kind of. I mean, the first major one that occurred in, in, in Western Europe, and then, you know, Brussels bombing stuff in Spain, Copenhagen, Nice, nice attack, yeah. Copenhagen, mm-hmm. Westminster, um, Berlin. Like, it was, like, 2016 was a, I mean, like, it was the first thing, because it happened in late 2015, and the rest of 2016 was fucking nuts. And, and, and like, Fran- France was in a state of emergency for two years, and we'd often report, like, okay, we're getting reports of gunfire, I'm like... I bet, I bet French soldiers saw, uh, shot some guy with a knife, and most of the time it was that. Because French military were stationed all over the country, not just in Paris. And, and I think uh, at the time, the, uh, they reinstated or they recommissioned the French National Guard, which uh, had, been, uh, had been out of service for a long time for various reasons. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, essentially, in response to... Uh, this attack and then the the further just I, I feel like chaos is a fair word to say that we're then just kind of like that ensued from the multiple other attacks in other places yeah i think none of them as organized or as uh just coordinated yeah. as the, as the paris attack the, the closest could have been is it would be brussels and even that was like kind of like a last minute thing oh shit they're gonna find us because like mo- a lot of the people who attacked stuff in, in france were, were from belgium were born in there and they like, had lived there and they there's like this one neighborhood in, in, in Brussels that they're all kind of from and it was like the kickoff point. Yeah. yeah. What were some of like the major policy implications as far as like French or other Western like foreign policy that came because of the Paris attacks besides like the amping up of security, but in any like external stuff that happened? Fuck shit up and <laughs> fuck shit up yeah, in Syria. Yeah, because they increase their. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like them, presence, them, yeah. and then others like were joining the coalition. You know, the launch fighters and that kind of like whether whatever there people were gonna give like the Belgians were even bombing people and fucking, and it, after the Brussels bombing and stuff, were bombing targets in Syria. It's like fuck yeah, and then the French, who are already heavily loved it in the Sahel and the, and you know, they were just going back and just doing what the French do. People and have called the French a bunch of pussies. Like, they're fucking wrong. The, the French, fr- the French are have... not too... Especially in Africa, there's, people are scared the fuck out of it. They scare people out a of, lot. Out of... In the EU, the French, I feel like, have... Uh, you know, arguably, of course, but in my opinion, the most competent military force. Because they... They're deployed quite often in, in, their, in the former colonies of... Yeah. Uh, that they have, especially in, uh, you know... Northern Africa, or I guess Saharan Africa, yeah, yeah, again, yeah, and Cote d'Ivoire and mm-hmm. Mali, Mali, yeah. Mali, especially they have a huge yeah. they have Operation Barkane. I uh, and I think as far as going to your point of what were the lasting impact of this, um, exact data I I don't have, but I feel like everyone here can agree it's probably influenced French domestic politics quite a bit. Oh yes. Um, and then also, or possibly just domestic politics in what, Europe. What? And what, no, I mean, in Western Europe, because everyone was just like, oh, God, when are we next? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, people were scared all the time. And it was like, we were, and for us, like, dealing with our, our personnel we had throughout Europe, it was just kind of like every little thing. They're like, is this another attack? It's like, it's not this time. Or, or, or often there was, oh, yeah, actually, yeah. yes, it was. 
Yeah, like I was a senior in college and I had so many friends in Brussels and Paris and they had to be sent home because they're like, we don't know if our students are safe. And like that hasn't really happened with our Europe study abroad programs, right? It's yeah. usually our Middle East study abroad program. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an eye-opening thing for like, oh, this is what the Islamic State's about. And like, because yeah. it started their whole strategy of like, which what I believe it was, was to essentially create... Um, uh, basically divide the Muslim populations in Western Europe from the, their host countries or the country that most of them were born in and lived in and were citizens. Create an us and them scenario. Yeah, because like, make it, okay, well, guess what? They're going to like, shit, you might as well come to Syria and join the caliphate. You know, that's kind of what some, to some extent happened because people got, because like, especially like, France has never been great about that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's, and it got way worse. Right. Without getting into like, I don't, I don't want to, dive into a rabbit hole as far as like the rise and fall of isis <laughs> but do you think that the response to the paris attacks as far as like amping up military presence and strikes in syria do you think that made a difference um with isis uh isil's presence and how they were like gaining ground not at first it took a while i mean it took a while to also get like local forces to be more involved in the process mm-hmm. rather than just like us bombing everything which helped but like yeah and and possibly the addition of uh, various European uh, European forces to yeah. the coalition, it might not have because it, things were already going on. Uh, other uh, Arab partners and uh, the United States were already involved there, so the addition of uh, France and others uh, maybe wasn't, of course, like a tipping point that oh, this is when the Islamic State started to uh, you know uh, dissolve. But of course, one. Uh, airstrikes are the only part that we see and as far as intelligence uh resources and other things it i feel like we can say that it contributed uh to as far as a, a territorial entity of you know the islamic state being a state for for a little while that it it contributed yeah. to a degree definitely anyway all right colleen is now drawing from the hat again <laughs> the the project poisoning pro what how the fuck do you say that? Slobodan project project. So Project. he was a Croat um Oh Croat yeah. dude. Okay. Yeah, so he was the Croat war criminal who poisoned himself yes, at the ICTY. On television yes. yeah, as okay. he's <laughs> Yes he's as they're reading his sentence. So the the international criminal tribunal for yugoslavia so basically all the war crimes that happened during that time during the 90s this is one of the guys who was you know caught and, and took the court and he was basically getting sentenced and he just said fuck that no and swallowed a bottle a little vial of poison during it it was he just he swallowed like a whole vial of cyanide I don't blame him really i mean it, it, well, but it's such a it's such a fuck you to everyone else he's like no, you'll never take me alive. I mean, they did, in fact, take him alive. Well, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, but he was supposed to like, spend, like, you know, they don't execute the him that life. kind of stuff. But yeah, it's the rest yeah. of his life in some sure. prison. But, like, it was such a... I've ne- I mean, I don't think there's any other thing in time history someone's, like, done that on live TV. And, yeah, that's right. Again, like, that was... Just, it, it was because it's just a bizarre thing that happened. I remember hearing I was like, holy shit, like, that's insane. I, uh... Just because uh, I, I used did the tribunal. Uh, it, it took place in the Hague along with the others, correct? Mm-hmm. In yes. the Netherlands, yeah. uh, I used to 
I, I watched it, or at least the part of it, because I used to live in The Hague, so I was like, uh, and I knew people that worked at the ICC, so I was like, all right, what, what was this? And yeah, it was, I mean, it, a lot of the other things that we have in our hat of foreign policy wisdom are impactful events that changed the, the decade. This probably, we can say, didn't change the decade. It didn't, it was just ridiculous. But I it was ridiculous <laughs> that they, yeah. It was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's all we need to say about it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I was going to say, because um, I, I say, like, I don't blame him, because, like, ah, well, I'm going to stay in prison for the rest of my life. Like, fuck it. But, like, what is... Because I studied transitional justice, and that's what I worked in a lot of my career. Like, what does this mean for his victims? Like, I wonder if they were, like, pissed off. I think I think, of, they, like, I think they generally were not happy about it. Yeah, because it's like, well, he's taking his own fate into his hands. Justice. I couldn't yeah. fucking do this. He didn't give me a choice in, like, my fate. And he just said, like, I can't deal with this. So I'm killing myself. And he didn't really, like... His victims didn't have that privilege to do that, right? Yeah. So it's... Yeah, that's the only thing I wonder. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to our next one, and I'm glad I picked this one. It's the uh, Turkey Coup in 2016. Turkey Coup attempt. So, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, did you actually pick that, or do you just read really No, I actually picked that. that. I was like, really surprised I didn't just grab it. <laughs> I didn't, maybe I did rig the game, though, and edit it several times. Because <laughs> I can. <laughs> but no, it's... it's, it's, it's um, so in, in Turkey in 2016... There was an attempted coup d'etat in, in in Turkey, and it was nuts. Because, I, again, I was in an operations center. I was sitting there. I'm getting info because we were just pioneering this like new like, social media monitoring stuff. And I was like, oh, what's this stuff going on? What's going on in Istanbul? Like, getting reports of, like, troops are moving in the streets. They're, like, raising bridges. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. Uh, maybe it's a big counterterrorism. Because I get my mind, like, eh, what is, could this be? Then I'm like, it's not an invasion. That'd be insane. Then you I'm don't like, jump to... Well, no, no. Yeah. Th- then it was like, oh my God, it's happening in Ankara. And I stand up and I turn around to my, my shift supervisor and I go, hey, he's like, what's up? I'm like, I think there's a coup in Turkey. He goes, come again? I'm like, I think there's a coup in Turkey right now. He's like, oh shit. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> then, we, then we went out to like our whole, that was, an, that was an crazy eight hours. Like, right. Like, I just got to work. That was uh, fucking nuts. But like, the whole thing was crazy because, like, it, essentially, what had happened was part of the military was was didn't like Erdogan. They felt like he was fighting human rights, getting away from secularism, which is a huge thing for for the Turkish government and that kind of thing. And you know, and and trying to basically consolidate power. So they're like, "Fuck that!" And like, Turkey since you know its founding after World War One has had like four or five coups to to you know basically relieve the government then they basically headed back to civilian power like okay cool we did it now fix this shit so we don't have to do this again and it's something that's always happened this is the first one to fail and it was nuts and uh i remember uh hearing about it as it was going on and uh you know uh me and uh i was hanging with my sister so we turn on the tv and we we turn on cnn and then but instead of like looking at cnn I think uh, we go on Twitter and Reddit to see things yep. that are <laughs> yeah. things that are you know an hour ahead of time of what's going to be on CNN soon, of you know people hanging out in their living room in Istanbul or Ankara, and you know seeing 
uh, attack helicopters fly. They they were they were about an hour late of actually putting stuff up because like I remember we put it up just to be like we'll see when they start getting stuff and we were we were so far ahead of them. Well, I, especially you all having personnel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you essentially have a have a primary source on all of this going on. Yeah. Yeah, one of my friends, he was a teacher in Turkey at the time. So he just like <laughs> oh, looked wow. out his window and he's like, fuck, what's happening? Oh, yeah, this is those reports like tanks at the airport. We have personnel right. at the airport. We're like, People blocking bridges. They're like, fuck. And like, in, and sadly, the coup didn't happen and no one shot down Erdogan. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he, the first thing he was like on a plane coming back from vacation, just like on FaceTime, just like, I'm still the president. It, it, oh, it, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it was very much a your grandma FaceTiming you with their cell phone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> which, which, which he did essentially to say, oh, yeah. everyone, I'm still here. So if I survive this, you better, you better be on my side. Um, Why did they attempt a coup when he wasn't there because he's not in the halls of power to coordinate but don't they need to like kill him and take him out <laughs> i think they were planning it for yeah. that weekend and then he had to be gone interesting yeah it was something like that and and eventually the police and people like basically people go on the streets mostly because the urban areas are pretty pro erdogan actually not really no, they're not. I, I said that's opposite. It's mostly people who are outside, outside everywhere else are pretty pro Erdogan. Mm. But like, you know, enough people moved to us. She's like, we don't want to do this. And like, the military stepped, like, you know, stood down. It was like about like eight nine hours of this shit. And if anything, you know, it, it, and the big thing that came from all this is that it was the best thing ever to happen to Erdogan. Yeah. He started locking everyone who was like, oh, you're because the Gulenists are the ones who are uh, who doesn't know who the Gulenists are basically. A teacher named <laughs> named Gulen who lives in Pennsylvania now <laughs> was essentially like this anti Erdogan movement, and everyone's being arrested for that. And that turned to academics, to the government, essentially quote unquote buying out news agencies and that kind of stuff. So basically, Erdogan's all in power now because of the, it was the best thing that happened to him. It yeah, yeah the backlash after uh, the backlash after because it. Within about a day, it had been, uh, you know, it had failed. And so, and, and within about a day, it had failed for various reasons that, as you said, there was popular, uh, there wasn't a lot of popular support for it. And whatever their plan was of, like, either securing Erdogan or securing other support from, you know, civil and military authorities, it, it did not happen. And so, once... Once it essentially, everyone was like, all right, so this isn't working. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's ditch this. Erdogan then had carte blanche and like a free reign to say, all right, so I think you were involved with the coup. And like a lot of teachers of yep. not even like major, uh, not even significant, like oh, this is an important professor at this university, just thousands of, or thousands might be an exaggeration, hundreds of teachers were fired from their jobs and things of that nature. Or imprisoned, or both. Or imprisoned, <laughs> or both. Uh, because they were connected to the connected to the coup oh he, he gutted his military so it's like you saw operations like in southern like against the kurds because like he immediately, almost immediately after that he broke off basically like oh any kind of peace deal we have the pkk and those other groups and that started that conflict back up again and like military couldn't operate well or even the military operating in like in series like they can do it very well because most of their best people were now in prison yeah. or or dismissed or, or, or under suspicion dead. or whatever the case was <laughs> yeah so it's 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 it failed and democracy got basically went away. And then was that? Uh, I'm getting my timeline mixed up. 
But was that after or before, or, or do we know, when the the constitutional uh, changes happened? After. After? Yep. Figured as much, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, and, and Ryan Kirk and Vuong, essentially afterwards, Erdogan then had at least enough influence or his party somehow gained enough votes to then change the constitution. So that way, uh, you know, it, it would consolidate more... Uh, you know more authority in the executive branch. Of... Oh yeah, no, he's he's definitely just consolidated power since all that happening. Yeah, it's been a pretty big mess. Yeah. All right, so let's try another one. Drawing from the hat. Uh, Oper- Operation Neptune Spear, twenty eleven. Killing bin on. Oh. <laughs> okay, you're the only person here that knew what the <laughs> name of the operation was. Yeah. Yeah, 2011, we finally found and killed Osama bin Laden, and it's uh, the big. Th- I mean, the big thing. I mean, it was a, it was a good thing. It was not like a really. A, I mean, it was kind of a vengeance thing at that point. It, it he didn't have as much effective control anymore, but I mean, like I remember, I remember. I think I was woken up, uh, and like you know, shaken awake, be like, hey, like you know, we you know, Osama was just killed somewhere. I'm like, wait, what happened? And they're like, I have no idea. Okay, go back to sleep. But th- there were celebrations in oh, yeah. front of the White House and in various mm-hmm. parts of the United States. I remember that. Yeah, no, I was. I got like a call. Spontaneously. I got a call from like, he's fucking dead. I'm like, what? He's dead. I'm like, oh shit. Like, yeah, I remember that. Like, I mean, the the it was a big deal for it. It, it meant a lot. It was an operational it's damage. A symbolic thing. Yeah, symbolic thing, and also to them too. I mean, well, just maybe to a certain degree, it's also like why the Islamic State got so popular because Bin Laden was gone. It's like their main. I mean, their main dude was now gone. It's like, oh, he's gone, so fuck him. Yeah, and that's what I think sometimes we, we have to be wary about, like, celebrating the death of a major terrorist leader like that because, if anything, it will galvanize them to, cre- like, create more terrorists in their place. Ah, fuck him, no. We should celebrate it. We should have partied harder. No, but, like... <laughs> I, get I mean, you mean, look though. at all the stuff that has happened since, like... Is the world well, no, it's, bet a better place without I think, I think Osama the, bin Laden? Well, like, yeah, for sure, but... Well, you look, you look, so, again, you look at the Islamic State model. Basically, it was just... It, ISIL, which is the bastard child of... Uh, Islamic State is just the bastard child of Al-Qaeda. Essentially, even that group there was so fucked up. Like, when had uh, Zarqawi, like, back in the fucking day. And, you know, there's Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And, like, it was bad enough where, like... Zawahiri and Bin Laden are like, you need to calm the fuck down some of your shit, because he was like, Sarkar was just like kicking off the sectarian war like no other in Iraq, and they're like, you're too much. And they've always, and like, Islamic State has always been on the, like, their main enemy is not the U.S., it is the Shia. The Shia should all be exterminated, is how they fucking view the world. And that's why, like, without Bin Laden there being kind of be like, okay, I'm the leader, essentially, even though I, don't, I haven't done shit in years, it mattered. But the other big thing that mattered from that was that he was right down the street in Abbottabad, Pakistan, from basically Pakistan's West Point. Hmm. <laughs> there, there's been different things said about that exact thing right there of, oh, well, you know, he was very nearby this, uh, as you said, a major military academy for uh, the Pakistanis. I, uh, I'm not sure I buy into part of it that, oh, well, uh, you know, the major people in the Pakistani government or authorities knew that he was there because I feel like hiding under someone's hiding under someone's nose or something like that is you know relatively easy because 
it's if you don't recognize the old guy that's living in a walled off compound uh you know when he when he does come out then and then you know you call someone and say hey by the way i think we have a you know the most wanted person in the entire earth down the street it's it's not something that at least you know i would jump to even if i were there or anywhere else but oh china lover and pakistani's sympathizer right, you need to come down <laughs> no I'm no like, you know like, my, my argument is like most like, most likely it was not probably not widely known but the, the isi not knowing with the isi is basically the intelligence service of pakistan which are they're really good about knowing what everyone's doing in fucking pakistan except the, for like the fata even the fata area they're pretty well aware of shit they just don't touch it because they don't want to deal with it the uh, i've read different articles that call the isi the most dangerous intelligence uh uh, you know the most endangered intelligence service in the world. Outside of Pakistan, like maybe, and maybe in parts of India, because like they, you know, they've obviously supported terrorism. Mumbai, yeah, Mumbai yeah. attack, mm-hmm. and all that kind of other stuff in 08. That's not in the 2010s, so we're not gonna talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a it was a big deal. The fun, I mean, Afghanistan's the allied country. He's been hiding there, you know, and we we got him, we killed him. Good fucking times. It was it was a th- it was a victory. It was, it was something that made people feel better about like. Everything that happened. Uh, I feel like there's a certain amount of closure on uh, a closure on the 9/11 attacks, and uh, which is to not even mention Beirut or other, yeah, um, you know, other bombings that have occurred. Yeah, it was it was something kind of just like, all right, well, it's we did something. We, we told we we said we'd find them, and it took us a long time, but we did. I do think. Um, I mean, everything with like the torture report. And I think some people right after the killing of Osama bin Laden was like, well, torture works. Like, torture didn't, if anything, like, delayed us in finding Osama bin Laden because they were getting, like, false leads. And so I, I think that's a major thing that came out of that was, like, this wasn't due to torture. Well, I would, I would say enhanced interrogation. Torture. <laughs> torture. Enhanced interrogation is something that's just, like, it has varying results and they're inconsistent. And it's like it's it's something you can trust. And maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. Depends if you're right, asking the right questions. I don't know. It's 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 something that's a whole different different, different time. It's just like. But then, if well, you're it, whole... but it wasn't it wasn't worth it. We can't fucking we can't bring these people here who we do have to fuck. We can't we can't prosecute them. But then, if you're uh, but then if your whole point of what you just said is like, oh well, maybe you weren't asking the right questions. That I feel like that's the point. That uh, if you're. Uh, if you're if you're using and like the movie Zero Dark Thirty, which was a movie about yeah. the uh, the killing yeah, of fan. Osama, uh, it at least had uh, scenes of torture in it where they got some piece of intel, or or you know, or maybe you're watching Twenty Four and then they also have torture to get Twenty Four is fucking ridiculous. You mean it's not a documentary? Oh, <laughs> no. Um, but that to your point of are they asking like questions? If you're uh, well, it's more. It's, uh, let me let me let me Go rephrase because like it's not exactly asking the right questions. It depends on the person, and whether that person will if they have anything. If they if they like you know that they have this piece of information. You have to like be know that they do, and like it, it, it can vary. Like you know because you like you work with this person a lot. You deliver messages to this person. You know where they were last, and they're holding out on you. Maybe that works. Then is it the morally right thing to do? Fuck no, but like. You might get it, you might not. So it depends on the. It, it can't be. It can't be like the like the staple of like we got him. We waterboard him immediately. Like wait, what? <laughs> like yeah, it should definitely not be. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. and like and also the big the big thing is we can't prosecute him here in the U.S. The ones we do have and have been useless. Sure. So that'll just go die in Gitmo. But because they haven't been prosecuted, that does not. Uh, that's another dis- discussion. But 
even if they cannot, cannot be prosecuted in the U.S., that does not then mean that one torturing is effective at all. And but the question of like, oh, well, is it effective? Like, do you get answers? Is I feel like almost focused on too much of like, you know, uh, what is the proper amount of torture the United States government should be involved in? <laughs> exactly. That's my, my whole yeah. point. Well, that, but then, but then, yeah. but then we then, then if we want to get into this argument, which is we don't have time for. But it's, yeah. essentially, it's like you look when it was started. It was right after fucking nine eleven, and it was just like people were fucking because t- basically you look at the people with intelligence services and stuff. Blood who was were there. Who were there? No, they were just like not even blood was hot. It was just like we failed. Do not fail again. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the thing. rather right or wrong. That was the mentality. Like and like yeah. what? Yeah, that, that's what it was. Like and like, it's. We could do a whole thing about that, but anyway. Well, well, and then at least to close that, uh, Kylo Ren. What's the actual guy's name? Uh, Adam Driver. Adam Driver. So Kylo Ren was recently in a movie called The Report about the whole. Uh, uh, the torture report. Yeah, called yeah. About, about the Senate the Foreign Relations Committee torture yeah. report. Which, um, at least, I recently watched and thought at least was a was a good movie. If you're at least into the political thrillers, um, of like, oh yeah, you know, like the. You know the details of uh, like DC politics are, are something I like to watch on TV. I would recommend. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like, because I think, I do think they talk about the killing of Osama bin Laden, and like it was maybe played up a little bit of the role of torture and finding him. And then didn't we talk about how it's actually in the same universe where he is still part of Star Wars? That yeah, I mean that's what Kylo Ren did before after. he became. Oh no, I thought it was before he became Kylo Ren. He was anyway. Part Anything of the we wanted to be Senate Foreign Intelligence Committee. Yes. Anyway, (laughs) that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) That was almost diplomatic. Thank you both very much. Thank Thank you you for having us. And Happy New Year, everyone. Happy Happy New New Year. Year.